Welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions preview podcast as part of the SB Nation Pride of Detroit Network. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the producer over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, co-hosting First Bite, as always, senior editor, Eldon editor, whatever you want to go with, at Ryan underscore POD. It's Ryan Matthews. How we doing, buddy? Um, I'm doing well, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on the show. I uh, appreciate it. <laughs> You're, it's your show, too. Oh. I forgot that's how that works. Yeah. Um, sorry, I totally stole our guest thunder. <laughs> well, yeah, let's get to it. It's it's Lions Seahawks week, which always tends to be a little wacky. I don't know Lions Seahawks games. I mean, that's just part of the. You're, you're the scarred. Course. You're scarred. I, I'm a little scarred. I was at that Monday night football game in Seattle that that involved a batted ball, but uh, I've been told that all Seahawks games are weird. So the Lions are just kind of a passerby here when in, in this rivalry. Either way, we'll get into all that uh, and more. We have to bring in our, our, our Seahawks guest. He is the producer over at Field Goals. Actually, uh, the co. I, I want to say like we're we're producers in in arms because we were we were actually hired on the same day. Um, but uh, Mookie Alexander is with us at Mookie Alexander on Twitter. Mookie, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, great to be on board with you, Jeremy and Ryan. Um, yeah, if you think every Seahawks game is weird, and from what I've seen of the Dan Campbell era Lions, it seems like all of their games are weird. Sure. Uh, boy, oh boy, is, is Sunday <laughs> going to be one where I don't think they got a high enough broadcast crew for this. The distribution map should be a lot wider Yeah. Uh, for, for a 10 a.m. kickoff, 10 a.m. at least out <laughs> here. that This should be the lead game on Fox because it doesn't always have to be good football for it to be really fun for the audience that's right they they are really gonna ring in october just the right way like they're gonna kick off spooky season just the right way i think (laughs) well let's let's get into uh we'll cut this kind of in half the way we we have all season we'll start with what happens when the seahawks have the ball and talk about spooky geno smith has really surprised and, and shocked a lot of people with how he's played so far and the, the the stat that really sticks out to me is his completion percentage. And I know that can sometimes be a little bit deceiving, but 77.5% of his uh, passes have been completed, which is 5% more than anyone else in the league. But the, his completion percentage over expected, which I think is maybe a little bit more telling, also by far the best in the league. So Mookie, what's happening? Is Geno Smith good? I don't know if he's good much as he's better than he was when he was with the Jets. Um, I was skeptical, of course, because what we saw of Gino with the Jets was was bottom of the league stuff by any advanced metric, whether you want to use expected points added per play or, or, or DVOA or DYR, it, it was all bad for him. Now, in his defense, he wasn't supposed to be the starter as a rookie. That was Mark Sanchez's job, and then Sanchez got injured. Gino gets to be the day one starter, and the rest is history. But um, the, the way that he's performed this year is already exceeding my expectations. Um, the turnovers that that really bugged him throughout his time at the Jets. They've been kept to a relative minimum. He's probably gotten away with a couple of, of bad passes, especially in the Falcons game. But, you know, some of the highest, uh, some of the com- uh, completion percentage success that he has had um, is down to the the depth of target of, of sure. where he's throwing. He's not throwing deep passes in the way Russell Wilson would, and we shouldn't expect him to. Um, but the, the fact that his CPOE is, is pretty good, um, you, you got to think that, a lot of the throws that he's made that aren't just, you know, dump offs to running backs or something, they're genuinely good throws. He is making tight window throws. He's being a bit risky with the ball. And I think the Seahawks definitely like that. You know, the fact that they're not pushing the ball down the field seems to be, at least according to Smith and even Pete Carroll, that teams are having two safeties back. 
And we're seeing that a lot around the league, and it's part of the reason why scoring is down. But within the context of the Seahawks, you have two viable deep threats in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And as we've seen, that's been a problem for the Seahawks offense when Wilson was a quarterback. And with Gino as a quarterback, the, the receivers haven't been able to, to really get any deep separation down the field and make big plays happen. They're pretty low in explosive plays. I think they only have six explosive pass, passing plays all season. And a couple of them were kind of like busted plays where guys were wide open on a, on a bad coverage mistake or something like that. But um, as far as I'm concerned with the way that Gino has performed, there's no reason for Drew Locke to be playing anytime soon. Like his job is not under threat. Uh, as much as I think Seahawks fans want to see Locke because he's, he's the younger guy. He's the one that was part of the trade with Russell Wilson. From what you've seen out of Smith, I mean, it's not like he's going to be a Pro Bowl level quarterback or anything like that, but he's showing competence. And I, I didn't think I'd be saying this, but through this one and two start, the offense has been the strength of the team, not the defense. Well, you mentioned Mookie, a lot of what Geno Smith has been able to do well so far. Um, can, can you touch on where he struggled, maybe what he does to put a cap on this offense? Well, what he does well is, and, and it sounds, you know, so simple, but he, he's performing within the, within the structure of the offense. And I think part of it is the fact that the offensive line has, has really been good, at least out on the, on the tackle side. And we'll probably get to that a little later, but he's been accurate. He's throwing accurate passes. And when he sees a guy open, he'll, he'll just fire it. He's not really hitching or, or, or being hesitant or making panicky decisions. And um, I think that's been a testament to how much he's improved his game over the years, that he's not throwing like caution to the wind and making really, really irresponsible decisions. I mean, he's thrown a couple of interceptions, but one of them against Atlanta was a desperation fourth and 18 pass. And it's just a case of trying to make a play. So I'm not going to knock him for that. Uh, so th that's definitely been one of his strengths. And I, I know just to talk about the completion percentage stuff, the, the advanced stats also show that Smith isn't just a mirage so far. I mean, we've seen Sam Darnold was an MVP candidate in September last year, right. but I, I think he's uh, 10th in QBR. Uh, the team, I think the passing offense by football outsiders DVOA is 11. So they've been an above average passing attack. And I think Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator has also played to Smith's strengths. So, you know, a lot of easier throws that he can make, but also the types of throws that he likes to make passes in the seam to the outside of the numbers, uh, throwing to tight end. So it, it's all gone pretty well on that front. Um, but what we've noticed through the three games and, and one of his struggles, he doesn't sense pressure all that well. He is not a very elusive quarterback. So some of the sacks that he's taken, and he hasn't taken many, have been the ones that look avoidable where if he could sense the rush, he'd been able to escape, reset his feet, do something else other than eat a drive killing sack. And also when teams have taken the tight ends away from the passing attack, the offense has really sputtered. So it's really important for the Seahawks to not, not get behind the sticks because if they're faced in obvious passing situations, uh, which is something they haven't had to do a whole lot of, that's where, Pass, pass rushers, opposing defenses can pin their ears back and really just start going after Gino and, and see, see what happens. That's yeah. That's interesting. Cause I feel like that would play nicely into the lion's hands. They're, they're a team that really likes to send the blitz on those mm -hmm. obvious passing downs. And the, the only thing that's been able to beat that is a mobile quarterback that can escape pressure. So if Gino Smith, isn't that guy, that seems like an advantage to the lines, but of course they have to get into those obvious passing downs first. And that relies on uh, stopping the run. 
on, on early downs. And we, we do know that Pete Carroll likes early down runs, uh, uh, much to maybe some Seahawks fans' chagrin. Uh, is that kind of still the case? Is this, is this still kind of a, a run-first mentality kind of Seahawks offense, or are they start, starting to maybe be a little more modernized these days? Yeah, yeah. the shocking bits, I think, for many, and myself included, through three games again, small sample size, but they've been a pass-first offense, mm-hmm. and they've led – they never trailed in the Broncos game, and they were exchanging the lead back and forth with Atlanta. They were down the whole time against the Niners, so I, I would – tend to throw that out, but I think they're ninth or eighth in neutral pass rates. So their early down pass rates has been well above expected. And I think the moment that Wilson got traded and Gino was going to be the quarterback, even if, if Locke was a quarterback, the expectation was the success of the running game last year, combined with not having Russell Wilson a quarterback this year, logically, this is a philosophical difference between Wilson and Carroll, Carroll wants to run the ball, establish a run. Right. We will see the return of the Stone Age offense, to use a pejorative term. <laughs> and they've been passing early. They've been passing proactively, and it's been efficient. So I, I am blown away by how much that they've been willing to adapt to today's league and be willing to pass first. Now, I think part of why they've had to be proactive passing the ball is that the running game hasn't been good. So uh, the offense has struggled to score, no doubt about that. They haven't scored a second-half touchdown. Uh, through three weeks. I mean, they, they scored a block kick touchdown, but that's it. The, the offense has scored three points over three games after halftime. <laughs> but um, the ways that they are struggling to score, not the ways that people expected. They are being pass first. They're being very efficient on third down. Like that's been another strength of Geno Smith. But um, it, the running game not being efficient or, or really all that reliable has been one of the disappointments uh, so far. I have some more questions about the running game because as you mentioned, you know, I think most people have this perception that the Seahawks are, are still stuck in the stone age, so to speak, when it, when it comes to their offensive attack, but you, you look at the Seahawks running backs and it, it must seem like a, at least a little bit of a, um, I guess, renaissance, so to speak with Rashad Penny, finally being able to be like the bell cow back that a lot of people expected him to be when the Seahawks drafted him in 2018. But I'm looking at their stats right now, Mookie, and they have 224 rushing yards as, as a team that includes Geno Smith as well. But like 163 of those yards have come after contact. Does a lot of that, does a lot of the struggles of the run game have to do with what's going on up front or, you know, are the Seahawks backs just really trying to make the most of a, a difficult situation? A lot of it has to do with the offensive line. Yeah, it it really has slipped. All all, all the talk about the Seahawks offensive line and how poor they've been with pass blocking and normally their best years are really good at at run blocking. Well, the pass blocking has been above average, at least to me. Maybe pro football focus will disagree. But the run blocking, whether you use the the run block win rates or PFF's grades, it's pretty lousy. I believe they're 31st in run block win rates, and that's terrible. And you go to uh, StatHead or pro football reference, they're near the bottom in yards before contact. So the running backs, for the most part, aren't having much of a chance. And, you know, the, the fact that the Seahawks are passed first means it's not a case where, you know, opposing defense is just loading the box and, and just selling out to stop the run. Even when there's been an invitation to run, they've, they've not been effective, effective at all. And I don't put that on the running backs. Um, they, they've just not been able to, to find holes. And I think a lot of it is on the interior, uh, particularly the center, Austin Blythe. He, is, he has struggled. Um, and so was Gabe Jackson, whom Seattle traded uh, last traded for last year from the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. And he's been he's the veteran of the group and he's been probably the worst offensive lineman of the five so far. 
And the, the, the surprises have been Charles Cross and Abe Lucas and how they performed in pass blocking. But the reason why their PFF grades aren't the best, and you can take PFF grades for, for what they're worth, um, but the, the run blocking has been a problem. And when they're trying to run between the tackles, they've, they've just not been too many holes, not been too many opportunities for them to really get going. So essentially Seattle's had to rely on, on Gino's arm. And while he's performed well, the limitations of Smith as a passer, particularly stretching the field and making intermediate and deep throws is also hampering the Seahawks offense. They're not stalling on drives. They're not going three and out every other possession, but there are little things here and there that explain why they, they've only scored a handful of points through three games. And the running game is part of the, part of the uh, reason that they've just not been able to, to put up more points on the board, especially in the red zone, just two of eight there. Well, uh, I feel like I somehow got stuck with this question, but I'm going to roll with it anyways. We, we do have a, a large Michigan State contingent in our audience, so I have to ask, uh, even though I'm a Michigan man myself, uh, how's Kenneth Walker looked so far? I know he's only had seven carries on the season, so maybe maybe pushing back to the preseason. Um, he, he seems like very much a Seahawks back, and I think even Aaron Glenn said that today. Um, what, what are your impressions of him, and, and I guess maybe what are expectations for the rest of his rookie year? Well, with Walker, he had a truncated preseason. He, he had a few carries against the Steelers, and then he had some mysterious core muscle injury or, or hernia, whatever it was. Um, it's a rite of passage for, for Seahawks draft picks who were you know, taken in the first and second round to immediately miss training camp or preseason with an injury. Uh, we could have an encyclopedia of the number of times it's happened over the last at least six, seven years. But um, he didn't play the first game of the regular season. He did play the second game. And he, he had a couple of carries, but wasn't terribly effective. The third game against Atlanta, he took a jet sweep and was able to make more yards out of it than he, than he really should have. He, he turned it into a 21-yard gain. It was like a slalom run because he cut back against the grain, went across field, and he showed some of that elusiveness that was so tantalizing in college. So um, Penny is still the, the number one back until uh, proven otherwise. And, of course, Penny's got enough of an injury history to not be totally confident that he's going to stay that way. Um, if I could say one thing about Walker, I suspect he's behind on the playbook because there have been two instances at least where Gina was either done a play fake or something, or maybe it wasn't an attempted handoff, and Walker's run to the wrong side. Oh. And for as long as that keeps happening, I think his snaps are going to be limited. So uh, in the long term, I think that Walker um, will contribute in some ways, but it, it's still going to be Penny as the main guy. I like Kenneth Walker based on his college highlights. He looks absolutely electrifying, quick, shifty. Um, but it, with the injury that, that he suffered and, and the time that he missed, it may take a while for him to catch up. And, of course, none of this is really going to matter if the run blocking is not going to get any better. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you anymore about those Kenneth Walker highlights, especially the game he played against Michigan. Um, so, Mookie, uh, I, I have to – I, I can't – I, I mean, the reason why he's not caught up on the, the playbook is probably his Michigan State education, you know. Oh, that – okay. Wow. <laughs> All right. Talk about some dirty pool. Um, <laughs> speaking of smack talk, uh, in the news this week, D, DK Metcalf had uh, some choice words for Jeff Okuda and maybe his um, – I don't know, Jeremy, what do you want to call it? Maybe uh, the the overstatement that Jeff Okuda has become a quote unquote lockdown corner, um, you know, talking a little bit about, you know, what, what you mentioned earlier, Mookie, a lot of these NFL teams and why scoring is down a little bit, a lot of too high safety looks and and, you know, bracketing receivers and things like that. So I want to know. DK Metcalf 
<clears throat> excuse me, and Tyler Lockett seems like a pretty good one-two punch. Anybody else in, in that kitchen in uh, in the Seahawks offense in terms of pass catching? Uh, I know that they you know got Noah Fant in the uh, in the trade as well. They have Will Disley. Um, what what have the Seahawks been able to do um, as far as their pass catchers? Yeah, the, the pass catching situation. Metcalf. Hopefully, that's not a freezing cold take of his because you know <laughs> it feels like uh, Okuda is, is is starting to to break out because. As I understand, he was injured in, in last year, right? Or, yeah. or, or the year before, so he struggled to stay on the field. But Both years, know, really, yeah. Yeah, and, and Justin Jefferson was a total non-factor last weekend, and I assume that a lot of it was attributed to Akuda's success against him. But for Metcalf, this has been an odd start to the season for him because the average depth of target for him has noticeably dropped in each of the two seasons that Shane Waldron has been the offensive coordinator. And I've not liked the way that he's used Metcalf almost like a possession receiver. And he's catching too many passes within a few yards of the line of scrimmage. And that includes when Wilson was the quarterback. Uh, that seems like the least efficient way possible to use Metcalf, especially those stupid quick out passes at the line of scrimmage where it takes forever for him to get going. Like you got to get him, you got to get him going with, with his feet moving. If he's at a standstill position, you're not going to be able to go very far. Lockett remains as consistent as ever. Um, he hasn't gotten into the end zone yet, but I figure it's only a matter of time. Uh, he, he's a, a reliable deep threat. He can, he's basically all three levels of the field, whether it's the short passing game intermediate or deep down the field, his hands are reliable. He's not as fast as he used to be. And also because of the broken leg he suffered a few years ago, um, I, he's been more or less been willing to just fall to the ground as soon as a player is near, near him. And I don't begrudge him for that whatsoever. But the Seahawks receiving core beyond those two is really, really not good. I mean, Marquise Goodwin is the default number three receiver, and he's had a couple of flashy moments. He, he picked up a, a big gain on a fourth and one against Atlanta. I think he had a big catch against Denver as well. But D. Eskridge, uh, we're talking about Michigan. I think he's Western Michigan, right? So uh, That's right, yeah, yeah. He, he's a bust. And <laughs> I have no issue putting myself on the line to get freezing cold taked again, given my Josh Allen tweet from a couple of years ago. <laughs> I, I think everybody had a Josh Allen tweet from a couple of years ago, Mookie, <laughs> so don't feel bad about that. Yeah, but with, with D. Eskridge, he's had two catches for six yards this year, at 10 catches for 70-something yards last year. So he hasn't hit 100 yards receiving. He's hardly getting onto the field. Um, it just seems like it hasn't worked out for him. And the fact that, that Seattle drafted him at 24 years old, the implication is that he should have been ready to, to hit the ground running, and it just hasn't been the case. Um, so the tight ends have largely replaced the production of where the third wide receiver would be. And it's been a, a positive. So you mentioned Noah Fant. He's probably been the, the least efficient tight end. I think he's got nine catches for 54 yards. That, those are fullback numbers. <laughs> but um, Will Disley, um, Uncle Will, got re-signed to a questionable contracts given his productivity over the years and injury issues. But he's caught two touchdowns. He is that reliable target over the middle of the field, an area that uh, hasn't really been challenged over the years given who Seattle has had a quarterback. But um, Colby Parkinson has been the – Pleasant surprise because he was thought to be this big six foot seven target who never dropped a pass at Stanford. He would be a, another viable option for Russell Wilson to throw to akin to Jimmy Graham, I guess you could say, but he broke his foot in year one. He had another foot injury in year two, hardly saw the field. He's finally healthy now. And he's had four catches on four targets for 87 yards and two touchdowns. And all of his catches have either been for a first down or a touchdown. So we've been seeing Shane Waldron use more multiple tight end sets, you know, going with, three tight end sets it from, from time to time. So, you know, over the years and, and you look at the target share for Russell Wilson and the tight end percentage 
has generally remained the same. And even in 2022, it's not gone up that substantially. So you got to, you got to tweak the numbers a bit. So I would do the portion of the targets that aren't going to lock in a Metcalf because you're not going to siphon targets from those two to go to your tight ends. And there is a 5% jump early on, like 44, sorry, 22 of the 50 targets that haven't gone to Metcalf or Lockett have gone to one of the tight ends. And that's 44%. That's easy math right there. That's five percentage points higher than anything else I can find over the last few years. So that has uh, been beneficial. So, you know, in absence of a really quality number three receiver, the tight ends are, are, are going to be key for Detroit to stop. Yeah. And, and, and Moki, real quick, do you, do you really find that to be a product of what they're doing to make Geno Smith comfortable in the offense uh, in terms of the tight end usage? Oh, absolutely. And especially off of play action too. those play action boots. I, I know he hit one to Parkinson against Denver. He hit another one against Atlanta on the third and one where Falcons sold out to stop Rashad Penny. Parkinson leaked out and, and he probably could have had a touchdown if Metcalf didn't fall on his route and in an effort to block his man down the field. So uh, I think that Smith is comfortable working with tight ends uh, regardless of where they are on the field, but it, it's good design by Shane Waldron to, to get him targets to, to guys who, you know, are bigger options and seemingly have soft hands because they haven't dropped any passes. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how the, the lines kind of respond there. Obviously no Tracy Walker for the rest of the way. So they're, they're still figuring out who's going to play safety next to Deshaun Elliott. And, uh, and then their linebacking core has kind of been so, so in, in coverage when it comes to, to covering the tight ends they haven't really been tested all that much yet though. So I think this will be kind of an interesting, unique challenge for them, but uh, that sounds like a, we, we got a good, you know, recap of the, the Seahawks offense. So we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about what the Lions have the football and that awesome Seahawks defense so far that, that has just been dominating opponents, right? Uh, <laughs> All right. I need an aspirin. <laughs> we'll be right back here on First Bite, previewing Lions Seahawks with Mookie Alexander. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on First Bite with Mookie Alexander, breaking down Lions Seahawks uh, before it happens, the preview episode. Um, Ryan, I'm going to throw the first one to you because um, 
big news-ish out of, out of Lions camp here. Uh, DeAndre Swift, unless some active miracle, will not be playing in this game. Amon Ross St. Brown's a little bit more questionable, but certainly trending towards not playing this week. Obviously, those are the two Lions' biggest weapons on offense, but the Lions have been doing a lot of good things in general um, in terms of run blocking, in terms of scheming, in terms of spreading the ball around. So I guess even before we get into like matching up against the Seahawks, what's your confidence level that this offense can kind of weather the storm of missing its two best players? I, I think answering that question is dependent upon how much you believe in what Ben Johnson's been able to do. Right. And, sure. and I think it's going to be, it's going to be really important the kind of game plan that he puts together when you're missing quite literally two of the most explosive players in the NFL uh, in, in Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown. So I, I think what's encouraging is when we have seen some of the other players, um, some of the other skill position players get into the mix it, it, it seems like Jared Goff just missed the deep shot to DJ Shark or or just missed Josh Reynolds because he got clipped by Khalif Raymond or, or something strange that happens, right? So I, I have to think that this is the game where it, it'll be a really good litmus test for, for Ben Johnson and what kind of game plan he can come up with because he's going to have to get creative, right? I mean, DJ Shark, Josh Reynolds, I mean, even, even those guys are banged up themselves, right? So um, you're going to be counting on Khalif Raymond. To, to be playing some meaningful snaps, I think in this one and, and it's going to be Jamal Williams, you know, carrying the rock and, and, and Craig Reynolds who, you know, as, as a third running back, because the lions quite clearly want to get all three of those guys into the mix when, when, when Swift is healthy. So uh, it, it really comes back. I, I think to, to Ben Johnson and what he'll be able to do. So I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I guess is one of our favorite terms around here on sure. Pride of Detroit. But yeah, I, I mean, what 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 about your confidence level heading yeah, into I, this one? Well, I mean, it it almost feels like well, they were starting to succeed with about this kind of lineup towards the end of last year, right? They didn't yeah. have a lot of these guys that that they that that are now gone anyways. But at the same time, Amon Ra, I feel like has been such a centerpiece of this offense that opens up so much else. Like he, not only is he the guy catching the majority of the passes, but he's also, he's like a lead blocker on some of these plays. Like he's oh, yeah. that important to, to the run game as well. And so the lines are going to have to figure out a, a lot of different ways to succeed. So I, I think this is just, I think the way I look at it is like, this is Ben Johnson's first like huge test because I think, I think you have it right. Like this is, this is on him and it's not an easy task for him. He's, he's got a lot of shifting parts. He might not even know, who necessarily he's going to have this week, especially with, you know, DJ Chark gets downgraded today. Does that mean he's had a setback or they're giving him rest? We don't know any of that. So um, it's, it's definitely an, an interesting test, but here's the good news. And this is where we bring Mookie in Seahawks defense. Not so good uh, by a lot of maybe some would say all metrics. Um, what would some say the Legion of gloom? <laughs> oh boy. Legion of room. <laughs> there's lots of room to up, operate. <laughs> All right. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, but let's, let's start with the, the pass defense mostly because it's, that seems to be the worst of the, of the two units and it'll make me a little bit happier. Um, I, I guess what's going wrong with the Seahawks pass defense other than everything. Um, it, it, this is just how the Seahawks have been for years now. And it's like in different ways because this is a younger group than, than years past. So there's no more right. Bobby Wagner, of course, Jamal Adams, uh, his absence, I think has been very, very 
uh, noticeable in the sense that his backup has been absolutely atrocious. Um, but the pass rush, it always goes back to the pass rush. And ever since they traded Frank Clark, and I don't really care how Clark has performed or not performed at Kansas City, he was productive in Seattle. Since trading him, it has been a gong show trying to find any semblance of a consistent pass rush along the defensive line. Because I think part of the reason they traded for Jamal Adams was he is prolific at getting after the quarterback from his safety position and, and coming down in the box and, and looking to blitz. But that can't be your solution. So that's why they've had to do these stop gaps, whether it's Carlos Dunlap or, or trading for Jadeveon Clowney. And it's had varying degrees of success. And the Seahawks, again, are not generating, not generating a lot of pressure. I mean, they sacked Jimmy Garoppolo one time and it was kind of on a semi-busted play and it lost no yards. They were already in the red zone at the time. They sacked uh, Marcus Mariota three times. One was on a, a great blitz by Kobe Bryant. Uh, one was a strip sack, I think, you know, a coverage sack. But Daryl Taylor has been one of the more disappointing players so far. And then another one by Quentin Jefferson. But in general, consistent pressure, getting quarterbacks hurried and, and, and forced to move out of the way, it it's just hasn't been happening. And then on the backhand, um, they've not been running a lot of man coverage, despite Clint Hurt's pronunciation. Hey, we're, we're, we're going to start uh, doing more man coverage. We're going to change things up. They've seemingly changed some things up, but they've been running a lot of zone. Uh, I think that their man coverage rate is the lowest in the league. Uh, the corners are very, very young. Mike Jackson, Michael Jackson, I should say. Uh, he, he's been the unexpected starter. He had a strong preseason, and part of it was Artie Burns came to Seattle from Chicago. He got hurt. Sidney Jones resigned with Seattle. He's been hurt, and now he's active again, but they're not playing him. Tariq Willen, the rookie corner, who I guess reminds a lot of Seahawks fans of Richard Sherman with his athletic profile, but faster. Um, he's played pretty well. Uh, he, he picked up an interception last week, his first career pick. He had the block that led to the touchdown against the 49ers, but I don't think the corners have been the issue as much as bad safety play, and that includes, as sad as it is to say, Quandre Diggs has really not been himself since coming back from the ankle break from last season. And um, I love Quandre. He, he has been great here. Seems like a, a real solid dude off the field as well, but he's been missing tackles. Josh Jones, the replacement for Jamal Adams, has been dreadful, and there's no two ways about it. And because Ryan Neal's been hurt, uh, Jones has pretty much been the, the, the main backup uh, at the safety spot, and he just misses too many tackles. Bad in run pursuit. Um, poor angles. It, it, it's just been a, a comedy of errors back there such that, um, you know, half of all defensive possessions the Seahawks have had have ended in the red zone. And last year was just, you know, death by a thousand cuts, running backs, catching passes for five, seven yards at a time. They're shipping in explosives like this is an acme lap. And that's been the, the, the real bothersome thing is they're giving up chunk plays both against the run and against the pass. Against the pass, maybe we should have expected because that's been the theme for the last few years. Um, and, of course, with all the turnover on the passing side, the, the collapse of this run defense is just so damaging because they, they, they're just struggling to get off the field. They forced one punt against Atlanta, and they've only forced one three and out total. Hmm. Yeah, that wow. Um, a lot to unpack there, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I man, uh, just Mookie kept on throwing stuff, and I was like, man, th like it. I, I wish the Lions were at full strength. Is is what I'm 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 hoping, um, and, and hopefully they're as healthy as possible. But I, just a quick follow up question about that secondary, Mookie. In, in terms of the youth that's back there, the Lions have a lot of big bodied guys like DJ Shark is six four, Josh Reynolds is six three, TJ Hawkinson is six five. 
Um, are, are those guys on the back end, are they equipped to deal with big bodied receiver? I, I, I know last week they had a big test in, in, you know, Kyle Pitts and Drake London, and it seemed like they held up fairly well, but then again, Cordero Patterson had 141 yards on the ground. So they held up well in the sense that Mario had missed a couple of passes that should have been okay. good plays. Uh, okay. I mean, the very first play of the game, Kyle Pitts got behind Quandre and he raced past Michael Jackson. And if Mariota didn't overthrow him, that's at least a 50 yard gain. Um, London caught the game winning touchdown again, Josh Jones missing a tackle on third down and he's able to go into the end zone. So Tariq Willen, I think he can handle uh, uh, outside receivers pretty well. He might even be able to be a bit of a thumper. He's six foot four. Um, he, he's like 200 some odd pounds, but he's not like camp transfer size. Otherwise you'd be at safety, but he can keep up with guys because of his speed. I mean, that speed is absolutely legit. The, if you look at the all 22 of, a, of his chase down to Debo Samuel against the 49ers, he's on the other side of the field and having to make a serious pursuit for a play that should have been stopped in the backfield. But um, at the nickel spot, Kobe Bryant, um, who we thought would be a potential outside corner ends up being in the slot in place of Justin Coleman, who's another former lion. And yep. uh, he's probably not going to play this weekend. He's still hurt. Um, he's, he's taken his lumps. Uh, that That's for sure. He's been a bit grabby with receivers tight ends. I don't think have been a, a, a real problem for the Seahawks so far as much as it's been, you know, other receivers and also the zone bus. I think a lot of it has been at the linebacker and safety spot. So that, that means bus, whether it's Jordan Brooks had a coverage bust against the 49ers that led to a touchdown for Ross Dwelly. Um, Cody Barton was, was had been fine the first couple of games, but he really didn't play well against Atlanta, particularly um, against the run. So there's just a lot of disorganization. And it hasn't, to me, been just a product of switching to a full-time 3-4 defense. People much, much smarter than me have noted that the Seahawks have been running a lot of nickel. And I've looked at some of the All-22 film painstakingly because NFL's, NFL Plus's interface completely oh sucks. Oh, my God. Um, give Don't us give the old start. game pass back, NFL. <laughs> but um, I, I've just had to double-check to make sure the Seahawks actually have 11 players on the field. <laughs> it, it's been that bad. I mean, there is almost nothing that they do at an above-average level except red zone defense. And that's where the bend, but don't break mentality is something that irritates me because it feels like the Seahawks kind of have to do it. It's just not a super talented roster at the moment. There's some potential on the team, but what they are right now is really bottom five stuff. The red zone defense I think they've, they're five out of 13. So five touchdowns allowed out of 13 red zone possessions. They got a couple of fumbles at the goal line against Denver, but you can't rely on that over and over again. And that's where, against Atlanta, the dam burst because they got to the red zone, I think four times and they scored three touchdowns. So if Detroit can move the ball in between the twenties, effectively um, you're in good position to, to score at least three. It's just a matter of finishing off those drives. And um, it, it's, it's more than possible with some of the ways that the Seahawks have been exploited, especially on the defensive front, because they're getting pushed around too often and they're being put in unfavorable alignments as far as stopping the run in particular which is why I'm hoping DeAndre Swift doesn't play. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, let's let's talk about that because obviously the, I think the Lions' identity, maybe of their entire team, is that offensive line. And and sure, they're, they're going to be missing both guards in this game as, as they have every game so far this season. And they've still, you know, top three, I think, in, in yards before contact. So I, I guess, do, do you have an explanation of why the Seahawks run defense has, has dropped off so much? I mean, they were like second in the league we were talking about last year and now, you know, bottom 10 unit in, in the NFL. And, and, and it doesn't seem like much of the personnel has changed. So I guess I I'm kind of baffled at it. Is it, is it the, 
the scheme change? Is it just age catching up with some of these guys on the defensive front? What's going on? Some of it seems schematic, but also that's not a particularly big front outside of big Al Woods. Seattle's best defender through three weeks has probably been Al Woods, and he's 35 years old. Right. And he, he can clog up the interior just as well as he has o- o- over the years with, with the wide variety of teams. He is basically the one unquestioned bright spot. I guess the second one would be Uchenna Nwosu came over from the Chargers. He got a sack of Russell Wilson on opening day. He had a uh, fumble, re- f- two fumbles forced, I think. And that's why he won NFC uh, Defensive Player of the Week honors. Um, but even he got picked on in the running game. There, there was a 40-yard run by Cordero Patterson where he overplayed it so much that Patterson had a massive cutback lane and it was off to the races. So they, they've just been too eager to get upfield and they're running themselves out of plays. Daryl Taylor, who was one of Seattle's bright spots last year as a pass rusher, this is a second year playing because he didn't play at all in his rookie season. Um, th- there have been a couple of bad spots for him too. They're not setting the edges well, and they're getting beat everywhere. I mean, whether it's in in between the tackles or on the outside, it's just been just abysmal. There have only been a few fleeting moments where the run defense has been impressive, and I'd say a lot of it was the second half of the Niners game, but by then they were 20 to nothing down. So the Lions offensive line, from what I've seen, looks like a a top-five unit, and if they're not getting a push up front, that'd be the Seahawks' offensive line, then Jamal Williams could have a very effective day. And you combine Seattle's struggles on the defensive line, you know, out independent of Al Woods, Ryan Monet and Puna Ford, two of the better run stoppers for Seattle last couple of years, they haven't been able to get going. So if Jamal Williams can get going, Craig Reynolds can get going. The Seahawks have also had problems tackling. So what turns into three, four yard gains are turning into nine and 10. So they just look so discombobulated. And this has been an issue the last few years. And then it corrects itself to something mediocre as opposed to rock bottom. But uh, I think what's been irking Seahawks fans is that the worst part of the defense, at least to me, is the one that has a little bit more experience. That would be Daryl Taylor, who's been on the team for three years, or Quentin Jefferson, who's back with the team. Um, you've got Al Woods has been the stand-up, but he's been a, a veteran of the team, and Nuoso has been around for a few years. So that's not a team – that's not a part of the depth, depth chart that's been loaded up with rookies or anything like that, other than Boye Mafe, who might play this weekend uh, uh, an increased amount of snaps. And I've liked what I've seen from him so far. He's been billed as, as a Cliff Averill type of pass rusher. I hope that's the case. He sacked Garoppolo in week two. But uh, against the run, which was considered to be a weakness of his, he's made some good run stops against Atlanta. So I, I hope that that continues against uh, Detroit. Um, and one other thing, Shelby Harris, I've just seen, is practicing again. He didn't play last week because of a glute injury, and he also had some personal matter that was unspecified. If Shelby Harris can return, he's probably the one guy, he's the versatility to play on the end and on the interior. He could provide some extra pass rush and extra run support. I think that he could at least help the Seahawks get some semblance of a defensive, uh, a sound defensive game plan going. Prediction, Jeremy, or you have another question? Uh, I guess, well, I, I, let me throw this to you, Ryan, because, okay, you know, Mookie's saying they're, they're, they're maybe a little bit um, vulnerable on the edges. They, they've given up some explosive plays in the running game, but the Lions, I mean, the Lions have three running plays of 50 plus yards. Two are by DeAndre Swift and one is by Amon Ross St. Brown. So my question is, if they're looking for someone to maybe take advantage of that, is it possible maybe, you know, 
maybe they get Khalif Raymond, one of their fastest players on the team, to work on on maybe some of those end around plays. Maybe Justin Jackson, a guy, another guy who's very speedy in there. Or or do you think they just go with their bread and button here and and go with a guy that they trust in Jamal Williams a lot, and and maybe Craig Reynolds is kind of that change of pace guy. I I think that what you're what you're getting at is the lines continuing to spread the wealth. And, and I think that's, I, I think that's what's probably going to happen. It seems like they're a team that wants to be multidimensional in the run game. Um, and, and I think Khalif Raymond is a sneaky guy who might get a carrier too. Yeah. Um, especially like kind of moonlighting in that Amon Ross St. Brown kind of role. Um, just because it, it, again, it comes back to Ben Johnson and yeah. is he going to be able to scheme up something where he can, where he can tap into what these guys do well. And we know that Khalif has speed. So, you know, let's get the ball in his hands and, and see what he can do. All right. Well then let's move on over to our prediction segment. The thing that we like to call the one thing we think we know where we make a prediction about the game, not necessarily the prediction about the game in terms of the winner, anything about the game that you feel confident is going to happen. And Ryan, as always, you're going to kick us off after I think we both whiffed last week. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I certainly did when I said I'm on streak would not be broken. Of course it got broken. So you can blame me that for that one, uh, live audience yeah. here. I, uh, I, I came, I came pretty close. I said that Kirk cousins wouldn't get sacked and he, oh, got, yeah, he got sacked once, once by Alex Anzalone. That's yeah. right. Uh, all right, let's, let's move forward to this week. Ryan, what's the one thing you think, you know, about Lions Seahawks. All right. Now it might not seem bold based on everything that Mookie just said about the Seahawks run defense, but this might surprise a lot of Lions fans. Jamal Williams is going to get his first 100 yard rushing game as a Detroit Lion. He hasn't had one yet. And I think that this will not only be the week that he eclipses 100 yards, I'm going to say he eclipses 125 rushing yards. Oh, okay. Um, I think he has, I, and, and, and still with that being said, as you said, Jeremy, they're they're probably gonna they're probably gonna get Justin Jackson in there. They're they're gonna get Craig Reynolds some 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 carries as well. So I think it's gonna be an efficient 125 yards. So um or more. But yeah, I, I think I think Jamal Williams has has a has his first kind of like statement game. Um like hey DeAndre Swift, I got this for now. You know, go <laughs> ahead, get healthy, man. I'll 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 uh I'll carry the rock while while you're resting up. All right, Mookie, I'm going to throw it to you next. What's the one thing you think you know about Lions Seahawks? Oh, the one thing I think I know about Lions Seahawks is that the fourth down discourse is going to be off the chain for this game because <laughs> hell yeah. Think about Dan Campbell and the fourth down decisions that he has made during his time as head coach and the decisions that he really should have made last week. And I don't need to rehash it with you guys. No, and you really don't. The historic fourth down decision making by Pete Carroll which surprisingly a little bit more aggressive this year, which is a pure troll job to Russell Wilson, obviously. But <laughs> um, he, even last week, we talked about the Lions-Vikings in the Seahawks-Falcons game. He went for it on a fourth down. They got a touchdown out of it eventually. But in the third quarter, the game's 20 to 20. And with fourth and two at Atlanta's eight, instead of going for it, he kicks a field goal after burning a timeout. And that ended up being huge for as far as stopping the clock later on in the game. So... Uh, from what I've seen, Dan Campbell likes to be aggressive on fourth down. Pete Carroll may be a little bit more aggressive on fourth down than, he, than we've seen in years past. But uh, I think especially comparing the two defenses, one side might end up being not aggressive enough. And the other one is going to be aggressive. And that may very well determine the outcome of this game one way or another. 
someone's gonna have to check in on Ben Baldwin's bot after after this game. Might <laughs> might go bonkers here. <laughs> uh, the one thing I think I know is that DJ Chark is going to have a breakout game. Um, I feel like it's 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 been teetering on the edge. We we saw a little of a flash of it last week with you know he got forty yards on the opening possession and then it seems like they kind of went away from him the rest of the game. Him and Goff have just been just missing on a lot of these plays, and I think this is the perfect opportunity for lines to air it out a little bit. And I know they there there's a mismatch in the run game as well, but I think uh, the lines would be wise to to try to get some of these other receivers involved. Um, now, now there's always the opportunity that the DJ Chark doesn't even play in this game because he didn't practice on, on Thursday. Maybe he did have some sort of setback, but assuming he does play, I say DJ Chark crosses over a hundred yards in this game. And if not just replace, if he doesn't play, just replace us with Josh Reynolds and, and pretend I predicted that. Yeah, for sure. That definitely counts. I, I have <laughs> one last question for Mookie. I feel remiss that, that I didn't ask it at the beginning of the podcast, but how much of an emotional letdown do you think the Seahawks experience in week two? Because I mean, they really got pounded by it by San Francisco, like in, in every phase of the game, but like they have that first game it's against Russell Wilson. I mean, a, as you mentioned, like Pete Carroll's just doing his, his, his troll job of, <laughs> of Russell Wilson at that point. But like, do we think, and, and, and they were, they were in that Falcons game, you know, that that was a game that they just ended up coming out on the losing end. Do you think, because there's a lot of Lions fans who think that, oh, this is just such a winnable game for, for the Lions. Like, this is a game that they're, they're going to win. How much of that do you think is actually a trap? Like, could the Seahawks team show like, hey, we're not we're not the basement dwellers of the NFC West? Yeah, I think that there was an emotional letdown because if nothing else, over the years, whether they've been a very good team, a great team, or, or, or a below average team, and this precedes Russell Wilson the first couple of years that, Carroll was head coach and Wilson was still in college. Um, there's always that one game, and usually it's at home, where the Seahawks perform well above expectations and pull off some surprise results. You think of the Beast Quake, Beast Quake game in the playoffs in 2010. No, no, nobody gave him a chance. In fact, we as Seahawks fans, some of us, including maybe a, a teenage me, uh, <laughs> thought it was better, better to lose week 17 for the draft pick instead of actually go to the playoffs. And then you, you go all the way to this year and – Look, Denver looks like a complete clown show because of Nathaniel Hackett, but still that was an emotional win because of who it was against, meaning Wilson. Um, some of it with the San Francisco game, I feel like the Niners defense might be the best in the league. So far, they're averaging like four yards of play against, which is absolutely phenomenal. But they, they were so bad on defense and so inept on offense that they were doing silly things like making DJ Dallas their backup quarterback. Oh, for a man, I didn't want to bring that up, man. <laughs> Like, I'm still in disbelief that that play ever happened. It was <laughs> mind-blowingly bad. If they're going to be bad, don't be bad that way. <laughs> um, but I think there was some sort of a letdown because that was a hypercharged atmosphere in ways that really that stadium hasn't been for, for a good while. And um, they, they poured everything into it. It was a high-effort game. It, it brought a lot out of, out of both teams, both Denver and Seattle. And they played better against Atlanta. Now, Atlanta is probably not a good team. They certainly play better offensively. Defensively, they were somehow worse. But if this game is going to be close, you know, short of some magical defensive improvement, you got to keep an eye, keep an eye on the Seahawks passing offense because Geno Smith threw for 325 against Atlanta. Um, they did open up the playbook, as it were. They didn't, you know, keep the training wheels on and have them throw an assortment of short passes. He's willing to let it rip a little bit more. So you look at the, the matchup. Seattle has scored three points in the second half offensively all year. Detroit's given up 55 in the second half defensively. So 
This is, uh, as put to me by a, a respondent on Field Goals Twitter, the stoppable force meets the movable object. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Mookie Alexander. He is an unstoppable force, as as is Field Goals. I, I always like to to shout out Field Goals because I feel like they've been a you know a one an example of of what everyone on SB Nation should be. So, Mookie, I'll give you the floor here. Uh, where where can they find you? What can they expect on Field Goals? Uh, promote whatever you want here. Well, thank you, Jeremy. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. I also run the Field Goals account. So, uh, if you want to heckle me there on Sundays. Feel free to do so. We're going to have some fun. And uh, you never know. I don't, it, it's an indoor stadium, so I don't think a drone can stop this game temporarily. <laughs> um, as far as what we're going to have on field goals, we'll have game preview and, and predictions and everything else. And post-game, winners and losers is always a very popular segment. If the Seahawks win, which uh, without totally giving away my prediction, I am not expecting. Um, enemy reaction has been a staple of field goals for basically as long as I've been doing it. So Lions fans, if you're Friday Detroit members, if you're in the game threads and, and you're commenting and Detroit happens to lose, um, smile because I'm about to do a lot of screenshots at the Seahawks win. <laughs> if you want to get posterized by Mookie, head to PrideDetroit.com and then see it on fieldgoals.com. Mookie, thank you as always. Uh, great stuff. Appreciate your time uh, and, and somewhat good luck. Good luck to you after Sunday. How about that? How about how about you just hope no injuries for the Seahawks? Yeah, but I hope they get their teeth kicked in. And, and, and no more injuries for Detroit because we're, we're very close to you two having to come in, for, you know, oh. and at least be on the practice squad for a weekend. I mean, if they're looking for someone not likely to get injured, they are barking up the wrong tree because I I can't stand on my own two feet these days without injuring something. Um, but anyways. <laughs> Enough about me. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back post game Lions Seahawks Sunday night after the game. And then I'll obviously all of our pregame stuff lean up into Patriots week, which that should be fun. Uh, but anyways, until then, thank you for watching. Thank you again to Mookie, to Ryan and to everyone else. It's chaos. Be kind. Be kind.